Well, we looked at the wonderful invitation that Jesus extended to everyone last time, found in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, where he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus makes reference in that wonderful invitation to the heavy burdens that people carry in this life which he came to take away. And we noted that those burdens come in all shapes and sizes. They can be the responsibilities, the troubles, the difficulties, the disappointments, the trials that we face. The burdens are also the relentless striving that people do, both knowingly and unknowingly, trying to rid ourselves of sin and guilt and to connect with God and win His acceptance. Now, some people say, yeah, I'm not religious, which is a way of saying that they don't follow a particular set of religious creeds. But under the surface, they're pursuing the same fundamental things as a person who practices religion, both are working to try to find God through the forest of failure and sin and guilt and shame and loneliness and existential dread that afflicts all of us as human beings. When the distractions in life fade to the background, the desire to rid oneself of guilt and to connect with God bubbles to the surface. Well, in the culture, in the days of Jesus, the dominant religion that nearly all the people sought to follow was the Jewish religion there in Israel. And the form that religion had developed into was complicated and burdensome. In fact, it had become more of a burden than the burdens it was intended to relieve. The very devoted Jews had developed a complex religious system that they built on top of the law of God that had been given to them through Moses. The system provided detailed interpretations and application of the law for virtually every situation that a person might encounter in life. And the original intent was to help people not break the law of God and to apply it correctly in their life. Unfortunately, the resulting system ended up being a suffocating religious bondage of sorts that lost sight of the original intent of the law of God. The spirit of the law was lost in their focus on the letter of the law. We talked about an example of what this system had produced in the area of fasting when we were studying Matthew chapter 9 a number of weeks ago. The Lord required the Jewish people to fast once a year on the Day of Atonement, but by the time of Jesus, the very devout Jews were fasting 105 times a year. Today, we'll see another example where human-created religious commitments result in a system of do's and don'ts that miss the whole point of the original law God gave to the Jewish people. The conflict between the religious leaders and Jesus in the stories today center around the Sabbath, which was of considerable importance to them. The keeping of the Sabbath is the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. Interestingly, 
Sabbath is supposed to be about rest. But the Sabbath honoring system that the Jews had developed was anything but restful. In contrast, Jesus said he came to give us rest, to give us Sabbath. And we'll learn today that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. We'll flip over to Matthew chapter 12. And beginning in verse 1, it says, At that time Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. The disciples are accused of doing something that is against the law of God. But is it true that they have broken the commandment of God? The disciples are walking along and they're picking some of these heads of grain and they're rubbing it in their hand and then eating these kernels. What they were doing was completely acceptable. In fact, the law of God even gives Moses explicit allowance for doing that. In, De- in Deuteronomy 23-25, it says, If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to their standing grain. So it was legal to pick a few kernels of grain from your neighbor's field as you're walking along. But if you got your sickle out and you started cutting into your neighbor's grain field, then you would be in clear violation of the law. And that seems reasonable, doesn't it? So the complaint being raised against Jesus' disciples here is not about what they're doing. It's about when they're doing it. They're doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. The law of God regarding the keeping of the Sabbath said that no work was to be done on that day. Here's the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy 5.12 it says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath. The Sabbath day was a gift of God to Israel intended to be a blessing for them. The reference to the Israelites themselves once being slaves in Egypt makes the point that their new master, the Lord, is kind and generous, unlike their old master, the harsh Egyptians. On the Sabbath day, the people of God were to rest from their work of the week and remember the redemptive work of God, both in creating the world at large and in creating the nation of Israel specifically, Resting on this day honored God, serving as a testimony of one's belief in the personal, transcendent God who created their world. Resting on the Sabbath was also an act of faith and trust in God as their provider. God promised to take care of their needs on this day if they would honor Him by resting in His love and provision. They were trusting Him that He would continue to provide for them. 
The Sabbath was a wonderful thing for God's people in every respect. But a number of traditions and interpretations and elaborations of the law developed over the years among the Jews about how the Sabbath was to be kept and honored. According to these traditions and elaborations, what the disciples were doing was considered work on the Sabbath, which was forbidden. Not what the law said, what their tradition said. Jewish tradition listed 39 main tasks that were prohibited on the Sabbath, including sowing, plowing, reaping, binding, threshing, winnowing, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing wool, bleaching or dyeing wool, spinning, weaving, tying or untying a knot. You're going to be tested on this later, so I hope you're taking notes. <laughs> Sewing or tearing two stitches or more. Hunting, writing, or erasing two letters or more. Building, demolishing, starting or extinguishing a fire. Hammering and carrying objects from one place to another. And then these main tasks had further defined details attached to them. You know, in some areas of Israel, they still practice uh, many of these very strict Sabbath rules. For example, in some streets of Israel, you're not allowed to drive your car because that's an internal combustion engine, which is starting a fire. And that's forbidden on the Sabbath. Now, there were a few exceptions to these prohibitions. For example, circumcision was allowed on the Sabbath, and Sabbath regulations could be broken if one's life was clearly in danger. But what the disciples were doing here was not covered by an exception. The disciples, picking some heads of grain, even a few, was considered reaping by those who held strictly to the traditions and interpretations of the elders. The disciples rubbing the heads of grain in their hands to remove the husks from the kernels. It was considered threshing. Throwing the husk away was considered winnowing. Eating the kernels showed that they had prepared food. So there were as many as four counts against them of breaking the Sabbath rules. Violating the Sabbath was a serious offense. The penalty for intentionally violating the Sabbath carried the death penalty. Now, at that time, the full penalty allowed by the law was not usually carried out for something like this. These many elaborations on how the Sabbath law was to be observed were not part of the law God gave to the Jewish people through Moses. These were created by the people themselves. As mentioned earlier, the original tent was good. They were trying to avoid breaking the actual commandment of God, but this protective fence that they had constructed failed to achieve the ends intended. It misrepresented God. It buried him underneath this complicated system of rules so that people lost sight of the real God and the real will and desire that he had for their lives. Sadly, we see a similar kind of thing happening in the church too, don't we? People, they start out with good intentions of honoring God with their lives, 
but then their traditions and interpretations and elaborations and, you know, little do's and don'ts that they throw in there themselves, they always degenerate into legalistic quagmires of do's and don'ts. We then use this stuff to judge other people and feel superior toward others. And the worst of all, the real Jesus gets buried underneath a complicated mess so that people can't see the real Jesus and the real will and desire that he has for our lives. My advice to those of us who are Christians is don't add anything to what Jesus has told you to do or not do in regard to morality and the way he wants us to live our life. Make his character traits of grace and love be the big rules of your life above everything else. Keep it simple. Don't shackle yourself or others with a bunch of extra rules. It will rob you of your joy in the Lord, and those things have no real value, it tells us, in producing genuine holiness in our life anyway. Colossians 2.20, Paul wrote this. He says, Since you died with Christ to the, elementary, to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Galatians 5.23 tells us, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are the character traits that we seek to develop in our life. Rather than just being ornery towards each other with do's and don'ts. Verse 3. He, Jesus, answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. So Jesus answers the Pharisees' accusations with an example drawn from the life of David. And the incident that he's referring to here is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21, the first six verses there. David was running for his life from King Saul, who was enraged with jealousy toward David, wanting to kill him. David had to flee the palace before he had opportunity to pack any supplies for his journey. And when he got to the town of Nob, which happened to be where the tabernacle of God was being kept at the time, he was very hungry. And he asked the priest if he had any bread he could spare. The only bread that the priest had was the special consecrated bread that had been on the table in the holy place of the tabernacle. And the priest gave that bread to David and his companions. The consecrated bread was 12 loaves of bread that were placed on the table in the holy place of the tabernacle. Fresh loaves were brought in each Sabbath to replace the old ones, which were then to be eaten only by the priests. On this occasion, though, rather than eating that bread himself, the priest gives it to David, 
who is in need of food. By eating this bread, David technically has broken the ceremonial law. But he's not condemned for it because of the circumstances. Jesus is teaching here that human need is a higher law than religious ceremonial law. There may be times when two commandments or laws will be in conflict with one another. When that happens, human need takes precedence over religious ceremonial law. David had violated the ceremonial law, but in the case of the disciples here, they had not even really broken that. They had not broken any law of God. All they had really done was broken a man-made addition to the law. Jesus continues in verse 5, and he says, Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. So Jesus gives them a second example, pointing out how the priests at the temple are doing work on the Sabbath, but they're guiltless. Some work took precedence over the observance of Sabbath laws. Jesus makes reference to Hosea 6.6, where the Lord said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's saying, if the religious leaders had understood what God meant, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, then they wouldn't be giving Jesus and his disciples trouble about eating these few heads of grain. Or, the even greater and more foolish trouble that they will be giving him in the next story when he heals a man on the Sabbath. The Lord puts compassion above religious ritual. Jesus said in Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath had not been created for its own sake. Instead, it was a gift from God to his people. The purpose of the Sabbath was not to put people into some kind of shackles, but it was for their good, to provide them opportunity for rest from their work and for worship. The religious leaders, in their zeal to prove their devotion to God, had taken something that God intended to be a blessing and have turned it into this strict ethical code that literally chokes the life out of people. Verse 8, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In verse 6, Jesus said, Something greater than the temple is here. And that something greater is himself. Now what Jesus says in verse 6, and then here in verse 8, it's astonishing. Jesus claims to have the authority to determine the use and the acceptable observance of the Sabbath. Because, he said, he's Lord of the Sabbath. This is similar to what Jesus said about fasting. When they asked him why his disciples were not fasting like the other devout people, you might remember Jesus said, they don't need to fast right now because I'm with them. He was claiming to have authority to determine when fasting is appropriate. We have here another implicit claim of deity. 
being made by Jesus. Jesus claims to have authority over the Sabbath, something that only God has. Jesus claimed to have authority over fasting, something that only God had. Jesus claimed to have authority to forgive people's sins. Matthew 9, the first eight verses, something, again, only God has. Jesus goes way beyond being just a great moral teacher. He claimed to be something much more than that. He claimed to have authority and the say-so over everything that's done on this planet. He claimed to be God in the flesh among us. Well, in this next story, Jesus is going to demonstrate that he does indeed have authority over the Sabbath. Similar to what he did when he healed the paralyzed man in Matthew 9, he said, so that you know I have authority to forgive sins, get up, take your mat and go home. He healed the man. And so now, Jesus is saying, so that you know I'm Lord of the Sabbath. He's going to heal someone on the Sabbath. So in verse 9, it says, Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? We don't know what the actual problem is with this man, but apparently... His hand is damaged in some way, either having been born this way or from disease or an accident, and he has very limited use, if any, of this hand. And the religious leaders are looking for a reason, it says, to accuse Jesus of wrongdoing, hoping to trap him. And they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, according to the way they interpreted the Sabbath laws, they believe that healing this man on the Sabbath would be a violation It would be considered work. Only if the man's condition was life-threatening would it be okay for Jesus to heal him on the Sabbath, according to the way they see things. They believe that the right thing to do is for Jesus to wait for another day of the week to heal this man. Now, if we think about this, this whole thing is kind of laughable. Because how many other people anywhere who have ever existed in all of time are able to truly heal someone like this on any day of the week. Here they're fussing about it not being right for Jesus to heal this person on a certain day, namely the Sabbath. I think it's really interesting that they don't doubt Jesus' ability to heal this man. But they're watching to see if he will heal him on the Sabbath. That's kind of crazy in itself, isn't it? It's sad that they are concerned with protecting their Sabbath rules from being violated. They appear to have no interest in this man's well-being. Well, the setting is a little bit like the showdown at the OK Corral. Tension is high. There is leaders. They're ready to pounce. But the big question hanging in the air here is not who's going to draw their guns first and kill the other, but if this Jesus is going to choose to do good and restore this man's hand or not. 
Well, Jesus, he knows what's going through their minds, so he asked them a question to just bring the issue to center stage. He asked them what they would do if one of their sheep fell into a pit on the Sabbath. Would they leave it there until after the Sabbath, or would they rescue it as soon as they discovered it? And the answer was obvious. They would immediately rescue their sheep. And the law of God allowed for this situation. Jesus then makes a comparison. A human being is much more valuable than a sheep. It should be obvious then that it would be appropriate to do as much for a human being as for a sheep. If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Mark's account of this same story gives a little more detail about the emotional tension that's present here. In Matthew, I mean, in Mark 3, 5, Jesus looked around at them, it says, in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. This passage, this verse in Mark 3, 5, this is the only explicit reference to Jesus being angry found in the whole Bible. His anger, which is clearly justified, is a sadness of heart rather than a rage. It says he's deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Jesus tells this man to stretch out his hand and it's completely, instantaneously healed. Verse 14 says, But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. The religious leaders, they're not humbled. They don't acknowledge they're wrong. Instead, they become angrier and more filled with hatred toward Jesus. They go out, it says, and they begin to plot how to kill Jesus. And this is an interesting way that they have chosen to observe Sabbath, isn't it? They didn't think it was right to heal someone on Sabbath or to pick a few grains few heads of grain on the Sabbath, but them plotting to kill an innocent man is completely acceptable. They have a very warped sense of justice and religious observance. Well, in closing this morning, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they had turned something that God had intended as a blessing for his people they turned it into something that was a heavy burden for them instead. And the same thing can happen with Christianity in our own day. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to walk among us, to teach us about God, to die as a sacrifice for our sins so that we can know God personally. Christianity is supposed to be a wonderful relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ but it can be made into this very awful thing. That's just a bunch of do's and don'ts stripped of its life and power. 
And I ask you these questions. You know, have, you, have you lost sight of the real Jesus? Have you allowed church culture to hide the real Jesus from you? Have you allowed him to get buried under a bunch of self-created legalistic rules so that his true nature is hidden from you? Have you lost the joy of your salvation because you have burdened yourself with burdens that Jesus originally freed you from? Galatians 5.1 says, It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And that slavery he's talking about is the burdens of this legalistic stuff that we dream up to prove how devoted and hardcore we are. And Jesus goes, what are you doing? I freed you from all of that. Don't put yourself back underneath that yoke. If you're not a believer, if your impression of Christianity has been one of just a bunch of weird rules, I want to encourage you to take a fresh look. It's really about Jesus Christ, not about a bunch of weird rules. Ask him to come into your life and show you who he really is. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, I will give you Sabbath. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, you are so awesome. You're so good. You're so wonderful. And what you have done for us is so incredible. Lord, help us not put ourselves back under a yoke of heavy burden that you have freed us from. May we walk with you, Lord. Allow your Holy Spirit to do his good work in us, building and creating your character and your nature in us, Lord. We thank you that you have saved us and you have rescued us from the heavy burdens that just squeezed the life out of us before. Remind us of that, Lord, and restore to us the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.